0: Well, today, we're going to totally change our, our, our flow from last week. Last week, we covered three chapters in the book of Romans in one Sunday. I went back and listened to myself, and it was insane listening to it, I'm telling you. And so today, to turn around, we're going to talk about one scripture, one verse. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read two, but we're actually going to focus in on one this morning. As we continue in a series through what many have described as the greatest letter ever written, as the Apostle Paul just lays out this Sometimes very deep theologically, but also very practical understanding of what it is to be God's, what it is to be saved by grace, what it is to, to walk in, in, the, in the love of God and walk in the power of His Spirit. And we come to chapter 12 and we really make a turn. If, you, if you're familiar with Paul's writings at all, whether it be the letters to, to Philippi or whether it's Thessalonians, Paul has this standard flow when he writes a letter. He always starts out greeting, but then he deep, deep dives. He, he goes into the theology. He goes into the why. Let me, let me get into your head. Let me get to your heart, the understanding of what God did. And then he always turns and says, now, let me show you how to live this out. And that's where we're going to be in the, in the last five chapters here of the book of Romans. We're going to be in this practical understanding of how do we day by day live out the fact that we've been saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus alone. And so I encourage you to spend time in God's word, let it get into you, but we're going to open up this word and let it speak to our lives today. You know, uh, it, it's interesting when it comes to speaking practically, because as humans, we tend to push back against anything that sounds like a command, right? You know, it started when we were kids, as adults, we kind of mask it, we act like we don't, we're okay with it, but truth the matter is, we don't like being told what to do. <laughs> we're just, it's something in us that just, that, that sin nature always fights against that. But here's Paul coming into Romans chapter 12, and and immediately goes into the section and says, let me show you the, not only the expectation of God, but the motivation behind it. it it's interesting, a little Bible trivia before we read the scripture this morning, that in in, in, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, there's only, there's only 13 commands issued. There's only 13 do this. But yet in Romans chapter 12 alone, there are 11 commands. There, there are more than any other chapter in the New Testament. So, so we're going to take our time in Romans chapter 12. We're going to walk through it and let God speak to us. Because here's the reality. Outside of being saved, outside of coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the most important thing in our life is how we walk out our salvation. Amen? How we how we live this out. I remember growing up in church, I would hear the phrase, if you're going to talk the talk, you better. Right. Because what's the number one complaint about Christians today? We are a bunch of. You know, you didn't want to say that, did you? But it is, right? That's the number one thing we hear. Well, everyone, they, they talked the a big game, but you know, they don't live it out. So Paul addresses it. He comes to this place where he says, what do we need to do? How do, we, how do we need to think about our service to Christ? Not in any way, remember what we've been teaching, not in any way that we would earn our salvation or we would somehow become more righteous by what we do, but purely out of an understanding of what God did for us. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. Bold statement, but if we don't understand these two verses, can I tell you a whole lot of Christianity doesn't make sense. If we don't grasp... The truth that Paul was laying out here in these two verses, we really are going to have a hard time, a struggle of what it really means to be a believer in the world today. So what we're going to do is answer a couple questions. We're going to answer some motivational questions this morning, very practically. And the the first one is just like, why would we, why would we obey the commands in the word of God? Why do we do that? Why, why, do we, why would we worship God? Why would we uh, serve the Lord? What's our, what's our rationale? What's our motivation? And, and even serving our Lord. And, and Paul makes it clear. He said it's the, it's the mercies of God. I mean, when you think about it, why, why did you come to church this morning? Is it habit? Is it uh, something we do? Well, it's good for my family, and hey, I have friends there, and it's, it's nice. We can do some cool things. Or is it because God, God's mercies are so amazing that I, I just, I'm thankful that at least one day of the week I get to gather with the saints and worship God. I wish we could do more. You know, why do we live for God and not just on Sunday? Why do we witness for God? Why do we, why do we love others? It all has this motivational tendency in our hearts. And we have to ask the question, really, why do we do that? I think for some, I'll answer for you, it's more of a duty than it is a worship. Or for others, honestly, it's more of a fear. A fear factor that really explains something in your life that says you've never fully grasped what grace is and what grace is all about. Because fear is not the motivation. Paul did not say, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's power. no. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's wrath. No, he said, in view of God's what? Talk to me this morning. Mercy. He says, I appeal to you in view of what all God has done for us. In view of all we've been talking about for 11 chapters, he said, in view of this, present your body's living sacrifices. So what has God done? What has God done for you? Think about that for a second. What has God done for you? Some of you, it's really interesting, y'all that have been in meetings with me, or you've been in Freedom Group, or our staff meetings, or elders, or leaders, we always start out with a, with a very simple question, and it's, I just always start with, tell me something good. Somebody tell me what God has done for you. And it always amazes me that we're, we're a little sheepish about it. We're, we're sitting back, well, what has he really done for me this week? And I'm thinking, you're breathing. I mean, come on. We can, we can do something to say our God is good, but when we really take time, we go back, we say, look what he's done for us. He's justified us by faith by grace alone. He he didn't raise this bar and say hey get there and now you can be my children. He said no come come through the altar come through the understanding that Jesus made the way by his blood and because of that now we stand before God in an understanding that that what else could we do? What else could we offer than to say God here's my life? God here's my everything. You see the motivation of, of serving God, the motivation of even walking and the understanding of how do we practically walk out this Christian faith is simply this. In view of the mercies of God or God's mercy, it'll be on the screen, the only sufficient motivation for the Christian life is the gratitude for grace. Think about that. By grace, God gave you the faith, even believe. You didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to believe because I'm just a better person than everybody else. No, God gave you even the faith. The word says he gives us all that measure of faith. By grace, God forgave us of all our sin, our past, our present, our future sin. He He forgave them all on the cross once and for all. He doesn't die over and over and over again for us. He said it is finished and he opens up this future to us. By grace, God assigned the righteousness of Christ into our accounts. Then when he looks down from heaven, he doesn't see our mess. Aren't you glad for that? He doesn't say, hey, I, I saw you this week and uh, you're being pretty bold there raising hands this morning. I know what you did. I know what you thought. No, that's, that's not how our God operates. He sees his own son in us because now our lives are found in Christ. You see, this understanding that Paul is writing, he's, he's writing to the church here. He's writing to believers. Listen, God is not looking for a sacrifice to come from the unbeliever. God is not looking for you to sacrifice your body as a living sacrifice. No, there's only one thing God is looking for in you, and that's faith. Faith to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that He died on a cross for your sin, He rose from the grave, and the one way we come to our Father, the one way we're reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. But for us as believers, we have to go back to the very beginning and recognize it's by grace, and grace alone, that we have peace with God. And we walk as His children. That we enter into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. That we we come into the throne room. And we we don't come begging and groveling before a a father that's stern and mean and really doesn't want to do anything for us. We come as his children saying, Papa God, I have a father. That's by grace. It's by grace. We've died to sin. We've been raised to Christ with newness of life by grace. The Holy Spirit dwells in us We are we are not like some elite squad of believers because we got a little something different No, every one of us that comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord He puts the Holy Spirit into our lives and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit It's by grace that we are no longer under the law. Can we just stop there and say amen and amen? if you don't understand why that's important go back and read the law in the first five books of the Bible and you'll go Oh my goodness You didn't show up with a calf or a sheep or a dove this morning. We've come to sacrifice Neither are you walking through the 300 and something laws of Moses. No, we are no longer in the law We are under grace and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus Think about it. By grace, we've been chosen and adopted into God's family. By grace, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. By grace, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. What a salvation we've been given. How how can we not say, God, everything we have, God, all all my life, God. God, not, not just one day a week, God, but every moment, every second, every day, every hour, God, it's yours, Father, in view of your mercies. I offer myself a living sacrifice. Check, check it out. We read this last week. You probably won't remember it. we were going so fast. But in Romans 11.33, I pulled out the message version. It says, have you, ever come, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. In verse 36, he says everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always, Lord, always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Amen, amen, amen. Lord, make it so. Do it. You know, it's it, it can sound like hype. It, it can sound like cheerleading. But can I tell you, let us not ever forget that everything we have is from God and is through God and is for God. Let us never forget what he's done for us. Let us never grow old so in our faith that we're like, oh yeah, I got saved, you know, back at camp. No, it is amazing that every day I wake up and I take a breath and I say, thank you, God. Every day I I step into the world and say, I get to do this, God. You put purpose and meaning in me, God. Every day I get to be able to worship God in my own setting and gather like this because of one motivation and one motivation alone, and that is because of the grace God has showered in our lives. You know, some people mistakenly believe that they serve because they're gifted. Well, I serve because I've got specific gifts, pastor. That's why I sing. That's why I teach. That's why I, I, I park cars. We, we look at it and I'll say, yes, those, those, are great, those are great things, but they are secondary in understanding the greatness of our God. Can I tell you, you can have all the talent in the world and sing every Christian song and every worship song there is and there be no, no anointing of the Holy Spirit whatsoever because you've forgotten that it's the grace that God has brought you there not your talent there's a lot of talented people in the world but god has more than talent for us he has his holy spirit in us can i tell you you may not be able to sing a note but if you make an effort your worship reaches the ears of god and he says praise and honor and glory and and receives that praise and, and accepts it from you not because you're talented but because you're his it is by grace we've been saved through faith So what we look at in this understanding in this opening verse is saying god in light of all you've done for me What what can I do for you? God? What can I do for you? I knew I grew up in a understanding that that our obedience our worship our service Is because the bible told us to that was the easy answer. Why do you do that? Well, the bible told me to But you can I tell you that that is not going to take you Where you need to go? Because there's days that those words are going to feel like they're just on the page And they're not living inside of you I grew up in environment in church. I know the many of you did we've had these conversations where where a lot of the motivation of Of worship of service of obeying god was was purely an, a motivation of fear It had nothing to do with the glory of god. It's just I, I didn't trust god But the basis for expressing christian faith Is really expressing it in love with our bodies? it's expressing it in love with our our actions and our attitudes. It goes beyond cerebral to something practical when we recognize what God has done in us, and now he says, I want you to offer everything back to me. You see, we don't love because the Bible tells us love. We love because the Father God loved us first. Look, Look at this in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, another one of Paul's writings. Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see this pattern all through Scripture. It's always pointing back to, look what has been done. This is why we do. Ephesians 5, very similar. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can I tell you, Jesus didn't save us with warm thoughts. He didn't, he didn't save us with good intentions. He saved us by being nailed to a cross and giving up in his physicalness his life so that today we can then say to our God, God, how could I not offer my body to you, Father, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is pleasing to you, God, which is also my reasonable worship. See, you've got to check yourself out on this. Why am I doing what I do? Why am I not doing what I don't do? We have to really check ourselves and say, God, am I living out of gratitude or have I come to a place where fear is so numb me I don't even bother anymore? Because that's what fear does. I want to show you this this morning. You see, fear is a motivation religion is used forever. But can I tell you, fear is not going to get you there. Oh, I, I know the Bible says fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't mean you cower before. It means you have this great respect and understanding of who he is and you stand in awe of him. You see, fear is not a good thing. Fear-based obedience is actually destructive to our spiritual life. It's ineffective in our witness to Christ. Look at this. If fear is your motivation, it does some things. Our motivation is going to lose power over time. Because you can only live in fear so long before you just stop caring. Did you know that? Fear is very mind-numbing. It's very emotional, draining. If you've ever been caught in a season of fear, of just whatever's happening around you, can I tell you after a while, you're just exhausted, right? Right? And in the same way, if you're trying to follow God out of this fear of some judgment or retribution, after a while, you're just going to give up because you're too tired to care. Because fear will just drain it out of you. That's why when you see people that are walking in fear-based religion, it tends to be short-lived at best and hypocritical at most. Because again, the motivation is not a gratitude of grace. Here's the second thing about fear. Fear Fear-based obedience struggles with repentance. A person that's living in fear before god and not in, in in gratitude Actually has a very very hard time living in the beauty of repentance because what fear does is this it kind of tells you It says you know what? There, there, there's got to be a line somewhere with god a, a line that you just don't cross And when we find yourself not being perfect, how many have been perfect this week? I don't y'all are learning Who? yeah when you find yourself not being perfect and you, you said some things, you did some things, you thought some things, and you saw something, whatever, that, that you know are not right before God and sin, what happens is we say, if I cross that line, God's going to condemn me, so I'm living in this fear, but here's the problem. We never know where the line is. And depending on, on your surroundings, that line keeps moving. And so if you're, if you're walking in fear, trying to find the favor of God by what you do, you've missed the point. He's already given you favor. He's called you his child. He gave you His Son, Jesus Christ. He forgave you of your sins. Yes, we need to repent and confess our sins because He forgives us then. But when we're living in fear, repentance is not in our lives because we're afraid to admit we're wrong because we're afraid of retribution from our God. And we miss an understanding of who He is. And instead of experiencing and get this this is something about repentance people miss instead of experiencing times are refreshing Because that's really what repentance does man When you come to that place and and you've been convicted by the holy spirit It's not a condemning thing. You've just been convicted. You know, it's not good You know things have to change and you finally hit that point where you confess and admit god. I can't change this I can't But god you can and i'm gonna put my faith in you and the holy spirit says turn around (laughs) And he begins to walk with you and he begins to empower you and quicken you and all of a sudden You're recognizing I am becoming more than a conqueror in this area Not because i've got more self-control than you do But because the holy spirit has more control of my life because i've lived in repentance And it leads to this time of refreshing and instead of living in those times refreshing the one that's living in fear Typically will either rationalize their sin or blame others for every one of their failures You see it, don't you? you you recognize that? But that's what fear does. There's the last thing fear does. Fear, fear-based obedience makes it difficult to endure suffering or troubles. How many know that Jesus said this world, you'll have some difficulties, right? We don't go looking for them. I'm not, I'm not a sadist. I'm not, hey, bring it on. No, that's, that's, that's just dumb. No, but we live in it. And because we live in it, we recognize they come. But if we're living in fear all the time our motivation of serving god is not this gratitude for grace Then when things go wrong, can I tell you I know what I know what you say You may not put it on your lips. But you're saying you know what god's not fair I've been living right so he would bless me and now look what happened God's paying me back. I must have done something wrong. I'm going to go back and navel gaze for the next three months trying to figure out what's wrong with me and, and not be impacting anybody's life because something must have gone wrong because God would have never allowed this in my life. So what happens is despair and bitterness come out because of this fear instead of understanding the grace God has given us. Look what it says again, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So how do I worship? What do I do? How is my faith expressed in love? Paul, Paul addresses that. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. That, that last phrase is a little unfortunate in, in the interpretation or translations within the original language. True and proper. Uh, other versions say reasonable. Uh, the, the word there is logicon, and, and that's where we get our word logic from. So basically saying, is it not only logical that we would worship God based on his mercies? Is it not logical understanding that if God's done all this, why would I hold anything back from him? So here Paul urges us. He says, in view of this, There's two things I want you to do we're gonna cover one today next week We'll jump into the other But There's two things and and these two things really do sum up what it means to follow Christ They're very central in our understanding of what it means to be a believer and the first thing he does He says I want you to offer your bodies as living what? Now Is it safe to say in America? We're a little body obsessed Yeah We spend billions Trying to look better we, we, we spend billions as an economy on, on shaping and building and tanning and surgically altering and photographing and feeding and dressing these bodies. And the point of it, uh, of giving our bodies as God, is not to impress Him. I can just see God going, man, you've done really good with what I started out with. Hey, way to go. No, that, that's not what the deal is. No, it's not the purpose of the body at all. It, it, it kind of helped us put it in our terms. God knows what our bodies were made for, and that was simply this. Listen. They are the means for delivering God's message of grace in this world. That's why we're supposed to take care of them. It's not so we win some contest somewhere. It's so that we have the ability to be the delivering body of God's message of grace. People have to see it. Don't don't talk to me about Jesus. Let me see it. Don't talk to me about your church. Let me see the difference here. People, we're we're show me. We're Missourians when it comes to to, to faith in our country. We want to, we're that show me or I'm not going to take any part of it. Look, God is not so concerned and hear me out. I'm going to, I'm going to step on some things here, but God is no concern with how muscular your body is. He's more concerned with how merciful your body is. Now, does that mean you don't take care of your body? No. Uh, Physical activity is good. Small, you know, it's okay. It, It keeps you living, keeps you ticking, Right. But can I tell you, God's not looking back and saying, man, those pecs are awesome. No, he's saying, wow, that is awesome to see mercy flow through you. On the flip side, he didn't give give us our bodies so we would look a certain way, but but so that we would act a certain way. Because again, how do we express our faith except by love? And how do we express our love? It's, It's not enough to say, I love you, love you, love you. There's a physicalness that comes out of our love. There's, a, there's that point of touch, reach out. Why? Because our bodies were given to us to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and to express his message to a world that is dying far, far apart from him. You know, it's interesting. In, in, in the church, there, there's formed this major cop-out phrase. Major cop-out phrase. We, we've got to be very careful. It's easy for us to kind of rationalize even saying this. Someone you, say, hey, are, are you a Christian? Are you a, are you a follower of Christ? Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why do you do what you do? And you say, oh, 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 wait a minute. I'm, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. That is the biggest cop-out. Because religion or religious just means there is a way of living. There's a way of acting this out. There's a way of walking it out that involves me engaging in it. But when we say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, what we're saying is, I love Jesus in my heart, but you will never know that. Because I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want to offend you. I love Jesus in my heart, and on Sundays I'll tell you he's my everything, but but, I'm not going to get into a conversation about God. Because after all, you may judge me. You see, we can't just look at this and say, look, it's all about inwardness. It's all about abstract. Look, God doesn't want an inward abstract worship, but a practical and a total one. Not so that we gain his favor. Please understand what Paul's been saying. But so that we are expressing our faith by love, by what we do even more so than what we say. He says to do that, we we do something that sounds really, really ridiculous. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. What does that even mean, <laughs> right? That's one of the scriptures you read and you're like, okay, can we have like a, a, an addendum here? Paul, would you please send us down some information on this? That's a little abstract, but yet to the people in that day, they got it. And I want to be very clear with this because there is a misunderstanding in the church about what it means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. For some, they will look at it and say, oh, well, I've already given God my past, but, but that's not what he's saying. That's assumed, right? Because again, this is for believers. Oh, I've already, I've already let go of the way I used to be, and I, now I'm living in this new life. No, what he's saying is, no, there is a daily, moment-by-moment understanding that we give our life to God, not once, but always. Over and over and over and over. Someone once said the problem with living sacrifice, they keep trying to crawl off the altar, which is, which is true. We, we kind of go back and forth, and we go, oh, here I am again, God. And but what Paul was doing, he was using this terminology That people would understand in in that day. It was a terminology of the temple, right? It was a metaphor he used that people would understand in that day that worship meant you brought a sacrifice. You didn't show up empty-handed. You followed the rituals. You came to the place, and you were bringing an offering toward God that was going to be wholly burnt up, totally, completely. And it was interesting, in that day, there was understanding and regulations about that sacrifice that that really speak to us today. Not that God is saying, okay, go get a goat after service. But what he's saying is, look, in that day, if they were to bring an animal to be sacrificed, it was their best animal. It was the most valuable. It was without blemish or spots. It wasn't diseased. It wasn't sickly. It It wasn't the second, third, fourth fifth best. Why? Because that sacrifice was holy unto God. And what it showed them then and what it should show us now is that that all that we have is at God's disposal. And God is not looking for our leftovers. God is not looking for, I'll give you my my best after I've done everything else in this earth, God. And someday when I get my career straight and when my family's good, then I'll, 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 I'll engage. Or going so hard out after everything in the world that we have no energy, time, or heart to serve anybody else in the name of Jesus. He says, don't offer me second bets. If you go back into the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 1, you read that on your own time. He, he was, God was taking it out through the prophets on Israel, saying, Israel, stop showing up with these broken, spotted, diseased sheep. You're going to bring yourself not into into this relational understanding, but I'm telling you, you're going to bring judgment at some point on you. Keep doing that. That was his warning back then. Now, remember we talked about that last week. Does God have warnings in the Word of God? Yes. He's not saying, I'm going to yank away your salvation. But he's saying, look, if if you want to see this life lived out and experience it fully, then do it my way. But if you do it your way, can I tell you, there's some discipline that comes along. Because God wants you to experience all of him. But it comes when we do things his way. You see, to be a living sacrifice, put on the screen here, is to be fully at God's disposal. It means to actively be willing to obey God in anything he says, in any area of life, and to be willing to thank God for anything he sends in any area of life. Let's be honest and open this morning. How many of you ever tried to bargain with God besides me? God, I will do anything but that. I'll go anywhere but that country. Oh, you know, Varg, I, I, I was with my oldest son this week. He had his 29th birthday. And I remember he was a kid that never slept. I mean, never slept. It's amazing we have any more kids after that one. But uh, we, would, we would trade off because, I mean, we were getting no sleep for months. And so I was like, all oh, right, it's my week, it's your week. How many times I am patting his butt in the middle of the night going, Jesus, I will be a missionary. I will start churches. God, I will do, just would you please help him sleep? And I know that's silly, but can I tell you, we do it on grander things too. Well, God, if you heal my kid, I'll serve you. God, if you bless my finances, I'll actually give you some. Totally wrong totally backwards why because this living sacrifice is saying to god everything all i am it's yours god starting with this body and why did he start with the body because he knows he created us but he also knows that our bodies are also the battleground of sin you know we know that i mean if, if you don't believe that the body is the battleground of sin then let me help you with a little simple illustration can i tell you that the day you die you will no longer struggle with sin why is that? Because you have no longer this physicalness of existence. You see, we have died to sin. Paul has taught us that in Romans, but sin has not died to us. And sin in our bodies, in our behaviors, ultimately corrupts our soul and diminishes our spiritual vitality. That's why in 1 Peter, uh, Peter wrote this. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and as exiles to abstain from simple, sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. That that, that, that if they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Can I tell you, the pagan will never accuse you of anything if only your thought of witness says, I have good thoughts. I pray from afar, but I never engage in a witness. Our bodies are physical the message is physical paul said in romans 6 verse 12 he said therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness why is that because we have the we have the holy spirit of god dwelling in us we are, we are like, the, we're like the living temples. God says, don't let anything come in that corrupts. Don't engage in anything that destroys. Why? Because our lives will be offered to God as an instrument of righteousness. You see, as much as sin in our bodies corrupts, can I tell you, service and using our bodies, using our, our abilities, our strength to God, actually strengthens your spiritual life. I want to challenge you on that if you've never really stepped out and said i'm gonna serve somebody i'm gonna love somebody I'm gonna engage in helping somebody. I'll tell you it'll not only help you here It'll help you here It'll it'll change your thinking. It'll improve your mental health But it'll also strengthen you in the spirit. Why because god designed us to do that I I like this Quote when I was studying a guy named john stott a very famous theologian We'll read the first part and then we'll put the second on the screen. But, but just, just hear this. He said, Paul made it plain in his exposure of human depravity back in Romans chapter 3, which we, we walked through. He says that, it re, that, that human depravity reveals itself through our bodies. In tongues which practice deceit, lips which spread poison, mouths which are full of cursing and bitterness, and feet which are swift to shed blood, and eyes which look away from God. On the screen, conversely, Christian sanctity shows itself in the deeds of the body. So we are to offer the different parts of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness, according to Romans 6. Then our feet will walk in His paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed, and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. Do you think the world today that we live in would see Christianity different if the church did that? Do you think your co-workers would would recognize something's different about you if you did that? Can I tell you, we have given up our witness in the name of politics and understanding that our voice is to be heard about righteousness, not about who's going to be in office. And we need to understand that because I'm telling you, Satan has deceived us, we've co-opted it, and we've missed out the very witness God has given us. We're to hurt with the hurting. We're to love the broken. We're to lift up the hands that hang down. We're to speak life and encouragement, truth with understanding. We're to build people up, not tear them down because they disagree with us. We're to be patient towards God and towards others. We're to hear the cries of distress. We're to take time to look upon the ones that are suffering and say, our God is the answer. But can I tell you, you don't do that if it's all cerebral and it's all to yourself. It's when these bodies engage and say, God, I'm yours. James, the brother of Jesus, said it well. He said, faith without works has helped me out. Or what? Dead. He said, he said, if you have faith, you have faith. But there's no evidence. Guess what? I question your faith. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Whom you've received from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with what? Your bodies. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God created us with a purpose. We say that all the time. We tell our kids that. Oh, God's got a purpose in you. God, God you're special. God, God's got a uniqueness about you. And you know what? All that is true. But that purpose is higher than becoming something that is only earthly. Hear me. That purpose is higher than becoming anything that man says that's good. It doesn't mean we don't strive and grow and build to those things. But I tell you, the purpose that God has in us is a very real purpose. And that is literally that we would live such a way displaying his mercies around us that we would become that pleasing aroma of Christ wherever we go. That literally we bring Christ into the room. We bring Christ in the meeting. We bring Christ into the study hall. Because we've offered our bodies as a living sacrifice to Christ. So how do we do that? How do we, what does it mean to do spiritual things with your body? I mean, we don't have a class on that. All right, spiritual aerobics, show up at night. You know, that's, that, that's not what he's talking about. How do we do that? I think you, I think you have to answer a couple questions to get to that in your life. The, the first one is just where, where and who are you serving? Is it just in your house? It's not, that's important, but it's got to get out of there. So where and who are you serving? Or am I partaking or am I, am I, am I giving? We, we have to kind of wrestle with this because again, it's not the same for every one of us. So, so where and how am I using my body to advance God's kingdom? Not to, not to advance... A, Uh, an issue of of this world that is going to perish but am I doing anything that's going to advance this kingdom using my body you see I need to know where that is now I understand and this is not a day to recruit volunteerism in the church okay because I could easily do that but can I tell you I understand that that we all need breaks sometimes from serving Do, do you all understand that but breaks are not meant to be perpetual do we all understand that as well Well, pastor, I need a break. We've come on a tough season. (laughs) Okay, great. But a year from now, that break needs to be over. Actually, in a few months, it needs to be over because, again, we are to engage our bodies in serving others, building up. So here's the question. Where do I serve? Not just in church. That's one day a week. Do I serve my neighbor? Do I serve my coworker? See, some of us are going to have a hard time with this because if we can't serve in the church, which is like the fertile ground of just love and grace and peace, how are we going to serve anybody in the world? How are we going to relate to anybody in the world? So what is it? What do we do? Even today, let's get very specific. What did you do today to help someone else grow closer to Christ? Pastor, I've had a rough week. I mean, let's be honest. We've all been there. You walk through the doors and you're like, I don't don't care about anybody else. I need Jesus today. And And there's time for that. But if that's all the time, something's messed up. Something's wrong with that. You say, I don't feel like getting involved in someone's else. They're complicated. There's drama when you serve other people. Oh, welcome to my world. Yes, and, and, and if, I, if I'm going to help out in the kids, they're like snotty and nasty and I have a hard time with my own kids and I just don't feel like it. Well, can I tell you, you need to come to Freedom Group because in Freedom Group we learn that choices lead feelings, follow. And it's so True. You make a decision to serve, and guess what? The feeling will come. It's just like love. Look, some of you are very romantic in your love, and you're like, oh, well, I just had this warm feeling, and that's why we got married. Can I tell you, that lasted probably about a month. Sorry if y'all aren't married yet. The premarital counseling. Understand, there comes a point. You better choose to love that sucker, or, or you're going to be in trouble because emotions are all over the place. I don't feel like doing a lot of things, but choices lead, feeling follows. So let's just get fun it's, this has been deep. I know it's been touch. I know. What do we do? So how do we live that out? How do we, let me just give you some offerings. How about this body God's given you shows up 15 minutes for service so you can actually talk to somebody and encourage them and engage in their lives and build them up. That's a thought. How about you park a car or you greet somebody or you're serving kids or hospitality tech or music or prayer Whatever your your desire is. How about this? How about you might actually lift up a hand to worship god sometime in in, in worship? Oh, now you're messing with us pastor. That's personal No, it's scriptural Psalm 141 2 says may my prayer be set before you like incense May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening evening sacrifice We're not doing spiritual calisthenics around here but can I tell you, you engage your body in worship. Worship takes on a whole different dimension. Sing. And if you can't sing, sing quietly. And if you can't sing quietly, read the words. That'll do you a whole lot better than rolling with the melody, all right? All right. It's it's an engagement with this body that says, God, how could I not offer you everything, God, because of all you've done for me, God, that I present my life a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to you. Why? Because it's my logical, reasonable service. You see, having a good view of God's mercy, it provides us with assurance. It provides us with motivation. We're not proving anything. We're not, we're not comparing ourselves with ourselves. We're not trying to be more spiritual than the other. It gives us that ability to be ourselves and say, God, I'm going to abandon myself to you in worship, and serving other people, God, in loving on people, God, because I want to see your kingdom come. Lord, I want to see it grow. Father, I want to see lives changed. And oh, by the way, God, it's not because I fear or it's a duty. It's because, God, I cannot help it because of all you've done for me. That's Romans 12, verse 1. Next week, we're going to talk about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds.